The NBA Finals are heating up. Looking for hot takes on all the postseason action? The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, is the podcast to listen to for the ultimate finals coverage. Host and former NBA sharpshooter J.J. Redick not only has a plugged-in perspective on the action from his time in the league, but he's also announcing the games in real time for ESPN. J.J. has the ultimate insider point of view, and he's taking you along for the ride as he breaks down the best defensive schemes, dunks, and drives from each game. And speaking of incredible drives, there's no better place to tune into your new favorite podcast, The Old Man and the Three, than in a standard-setting BMW. Luxury meets power to create a wholly new driving experience. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. Thank you for downloading this episode of Spin the Rally Pod. I'm Lisa O'Sullivan, bringing you a Women in Motorsport special from Dirtfish.com. Carrying out for the whole of the month of March, we are taking a look at the progress made by the FIA's Women in Motorsport Commission, launched 13 years ago. What follows is a conversation between myself and Bex Williams, who I have had the pleasure of working with for nearly 20 years now. Now, my maths is a little bit rubbish, and so at the beginning, I did get my dates muddled up. I started in the World Rally Championship in 2002, not 2001, as I previously claimed, so just ignore that bit there. I didn't want to edit it, but sit back and enjoy a conversation with one of the great broadcasters in WRC, Bex Williams. I got myself a cup of tea because going on our history of production meetings, this, even though it's only going to be 45 minutes, because that's what it's got to be edited down to, um, I, I just wanted to be comfortable, Rebecca Williams. Good luck with it being 45 minutes, Lisa O'Sullivan, because production meetings usually around about the two hour mark, and uh-huh. then we'd actually start the production meeting after we'd gossip, chatted, put the world to rights. Yeah. Then it was maybe 10 minute production meeting and see you next week. And and generally that was because we had to go somewhere else, eat, uh, or yeah, other reasons that we needed to break up the meeting rather rather rapidly anyway. But yeah, that was <laughs> that was a long time ago now, it feels, because and I did call you Rebecca there. You're not Rebecca, you're Bex Williams, legend of motorsports broadcasting, because you are you you know, you've been at the forefront of rally broadcasting. For some time now, I'm not going to say ages and ages because that would make you sound old and you're still only a mere snip of a thing. Yes, no, true, true. But you're right. It has been a long time. And I did have the wake up call when I went to this year's Rally Sweden that that actually was 2022 Rally Sweden, marking the 20 years since I started in the WRC full time. But I did two years prior to that in rallying. So, yeah. It was like, whoa, I started in the 90s. And you feel like the 90s is 10 years ago. (laughs) No, it was last century. Shocking. Yeah, this is quite. And, you know, people like Callie Rovenpera were born in in that (laughs) decade and or or like the 2000s or whatever. And you're like, (laughs) and your eye starts to twitch and and you think it's been a long time. But it doesn't feel like 20 years. And so that makes our relationship more than 20 years, because I think I bumped into you. I was uh, dragged in by Greg Strange to do some end of stage reporting for local radio stations in the UK 
on Wales Rally GB 2001, I believe. Yes, yeah, yes, you were. Never had I been in a more unfamiliar and alien environment. I remember I thought <laughs> I'll put my my rugby boots on so that I've got you know I've got decent footwear. Always, always remember my um, original journalistic training, which is make sure your feet are warm which yes. is the best piece of advice Crucial. I can pass on to anyone, especially as well in motorsport. Got to be warm, got to be dry. And the other um, thing I thought, well, I, I, I should look relatively smart because I don't quite know if I'm interviewing people, I need to look smart. So I stood <laughs> at the end of the muddy, muddy end of the stage in the car park in my nice coat, my nice sort of full length blue, petrol blue coat, which needed severe demudding afterwards. But I mean, you know, a couple of drivers in after I realised I did I knew nothing about this sport. Standing in the car park, I realised I loved it, and then I met you there, knowing everything it seemed about rallying at that point. Oh, I, well, I wouldn't go as far as to say that I was. That was still early days for me as well. I think my first rally was Wales Rally GB or Network Q rally of great britain to give it its full title in 99 and that's when it was based in cheltenham service park in cheltenham and it went kind of into wales and went up into england it did the country houses it was you know proper rally and that was my first ever rally event and it was you know the biggest one on the championship calendar for anyone who's in the uk i mean neither of us wanted to start at the bottom did we really let's just start with the big one <laughs> No, let's just launch in. But I think that was that was kind of Greg's, you know, way. He he did not. There was no. If you join Greg's company, there was no working your way up to anything. He would launch you in at the deep end, and that was his true belief that if you could do it, you would swim. You know, you're either going to sink or swim, and if you're no good at it, that's it, you're gone. But if you swim, then great, you continue on, and that's exactly what he did. <laughs> it was throw us into the deep end. This weekend, you're going to be doing 30-second reports for radio stations around the UK. Maybe you'll do a bit of Five Live as well. <gasps> BBC Five Live, you are kidding me. You are kidding me. Uh, but it was really nice because you had to... I liked the sport because I kind of... Not that I'd grown up with the sport, I hadn't. Even though I'd done my first rally at the age of four, there had been a big gap before I looked at another one it was a passing interest um but you know i reveled in the the whole experience of of being able to to work at wales rally gb that year and as soon as the bug hits you like you you said you know you you turn up at your first event you absolutely adore it it gets you and you want more and more and you want to learn more and more and i found that's what I wanted to do I wanted to understand the sport more and more just you know, not from just flicking on the tv and watching BBC highlights I wanted to understand the cars I wanted to understand crucially I think for me the people behind it that was the important thing the the people why they would want to go and do a sport like this why they would want to risk their lives over the course of three or four days of competition and the real characters behind the sport I think that's what drew me in more than the cars itself, because I think a lot of people will look at it and go, oh, it's the cars, it's the cars. For me, it wasn't that. It was the the people behind it that drew me in. 
Yeah, it's always, it's always about the stories, I think, for both of us as well. Mm. And I think because we are talking about women in motorsports as part of this conversation between the pair of us, it's, yeah. not, it's not entirely a production meeting. Uh, we might have to have that <laughs> afterwards. But um, I think because from my point of view, and I think maybe for you as well, being launched in as we were, there wasn't an opportunity before that for us to think, well, this isn't a sport that I'm going to be able to cover because I'm a woman. There aren't any, I can't see any women. I can't see my pathway through that because we were just in it straight away from that point of view. I'm just going to fast forward a little bit more to 2009 and the FIA launching its Women into Motorsports Commission and the yeah. initiative that has been running now for 13 years. And because we've got this gulf of time where we were in the sports before the commission, we've been in the sport after the commission. If somebody was being launched perhaps into the sport um, now, they've got a yeah. they've got a long history to look back and say, well, no, but women have been doing this all the time. Whether yes. it is whether it is, you know, um, under the car, designing the car, driving the car, co-driving the car talking about the cars standing and not just being an auto cutie or being um, a hostie those weren't they were kind of the roles that were prominent but the roles that are available now they were potentially always there but but would you say that in the 13 years post the commission that things have changed that radically I think things have changed and things were changing when I joined the sport you know, to look into the journalism aspect of it, there weren't many female journalists. I remember one other lady, Andrea Neumeyer from Germany, who was there. Sam Lloyd, who also worked as part of our company with Greg. And that was around about it really in our circle. So there was no one you could look at in the press room and go, she's similar to me because it simply didn't exist it was you know it's a male dominated press room a male dominated sport in every sense of every level from from journalism to mechanics to engineering to the competitors the only place where there were more females than males potentially was in PR departments um, that was a strength with women but other than that they weren't really reflected in the sport but it I think when I came in in 99, you, you noticed it, but I never, and it's never been something that I've personally felt and not to say that other women wouldn't, but it's never something that it was an issue for me or a problem for me because I knew I wanted to work in sport and I had worked in rugby prior to that, which again, it was male rugby that I'd worked in and female rugby was there but not as well publicized or certainly not on television back in the day. You no, never saw a female still have female the rugby match. That we're not putting it on TV because nobody wants to watch it, which is it, now exa finally exactly. flipped because they put it on TV and people, funnily enough, want to watch it. What a what a strange one that is, huh? But it, it was always there and you I don't know, I think it was an acceptance maybe at the time that there was always going to be more men. Um, I think things, since we have had FIA Women in Motorsport, there's been strategies put in place. There's been strategies put in place for younger women, certainly to understand that they can enter the motorsport world. Girls on Track is a phenomenal um, 
oh, I can't think what the word is right now. And words are my thing. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Incredible project. Projects. Um, and, you know, motorsport is always going to be uh, the sport which you need a bit of money to get into. Sadly, it's, you know, it's not all and it's never going to be. I don't think it's ever going to change. It's not something like, you know, football or even rugby where your talent alone can propel you into a team you will need to have some kind of your family will need to have some kind of money behind them or get some kind of grant or whatever to be able to compete and there's there's that that's a completely different kettle of fish to talk about um and that's also a hurdle for i think female competitors where and then girls on track comes along and they're going out there and they're trying to find female competitors and I think the gaming world, a lot of people are against, you know, gaming. I'm not at all. I'm fully for it because that is now the new vehicle for finding young talent behind the wheel and starting to bring them on. And gaming can be done on, on very little budget. That's um, changed. So, yeah, to go, it, it has <laughs> changed. I, th- I, think it's, I think it's changed the, the whole complexion of actually getting into motorsport. And, you know, we we have rally drivers um, who have come from a gaming background, who've then got into circuit racing and then moved on to rallying. Sean Johnson is the perfect example of this, an American driver who's competing in the support categories in WRC. He has been a circuit racer, but, you know, he came from a very strong gaming background. And I think we'll see more of that in the future. And I'm completely all for that. Um, But to go back to your original point, I think, yes, things have changed and are changing, but it's never probably in our lifetime going to be a quick enough change because unfortunately it's not happening overnight. It's a gradual process. But I think, you know, what Michelle Mouton did as head of FIA Women in Motorsport, her drive, her passion has really steered the ship and created something which is only gonna grow and grow. And hopefully then more female competitors or female mechanics, female engineers, female anything. You know, I think, and that's one thing to kind of, to push out there. You, you might look at women in motorsport and think, oh, it's all about just the competition, but it's not just that. You know, the whole board is made up of people who do various jobs in motorsport. And there are many out there. Every single job a man does, a woman can do. You know, there, there's no question in that. There's, there isn't, but I think sometimes you know, women can feel, oh, maybe I can't do that. Maybe it's too much coming into a male-dominated space. And I hope through the fact that people like myself, yourself, are out there and, and doing these kind of jobs is a, a bit of inspiration, but also a, a confidence booster for people to know that, yeah, they can go and do it. There is no reason why they can't. I mean, I don't come from a motorsport background at all. My parents didn't drive a car. <laughs> for the love of God, no one in my family drove before. But you had a car. Too we had a car. We had a car. <laughs> we were gifted a car by my grandfather, and it was an Austin Allegro that sat outside the house. And I had two older brothers. My eldest had no interest in driving. I say he had no interest in driving. He could drive. He did drive, but he had no interest in passing his test to officially drive. <laughs> and um. Uh, you know, he's quite a bit older than me. So, you know, back in the 60s, it was all a little bit fly, wasn't it? You can get behind the wheel and not actually have a license. Um, but yeah, he really did have no interest in driving. He hasn't driven a car since the 60s. And then 
the brother slightly older than me, he really wanted to drive, but never kind of got round to it. So we had this beautiful car sitting outside and I would go and sit in it and, and you know, just kind of move the wheel around. and the You do love and... driving. You do love I driving. I do. I you do. hate being I a love... passenger. I, I, I hate being a passenger. I'm such a control freak in the car. I have to drive. And I wanted to learn everything about it. I didn't understand what gearbox did. Or I think, how, you know, how do you know when to change gear when you're in? And I wanted to learn so much about it. And I think that's where my passion for it came from. It's like a reverse, isn't it? It's. I didn't have any cars in my life. I didn't have any motorsport in my life, but yet I craved it. Um, you know, my brothers took me to a rally when I was four, which was an incredible experience. And I, I really don't remember much. And I, I tell people, and it's totally true. The only thing I really remember is lights in the darkness, in the forest and my wellies that I really wanted to wear. And they were these multicolored wellies, which I still remember to this day because they were so fabulous. And then there was this gap, this period of my life where my brothers would watch rallying on TV and I would, you know, follow along. And I remember being in university when Colin McRae won Rally New Zealand and following that on CFAX because oh. I was interested. Yes, CFAX. For, for those of yeah, you for, who... for, a, for, a, for a global audience, <laughs> global audience. explain CFAX, please. So it was, there will be equivalents around the world, but I remember people watching football matches on CFAX as well. And it was basically uh, a page on your television that would update every minute or maybe two minutes. So you yeah. would basically stare at a screen that would, let's use a football match because it's slightly easier to explain. So you'd have, say, Chelsea nil, Tottenham nil, and you'd keep looking at it and it would refresh every two minutes. And then all of a sudden, one of them would score a goal. And they'd be like, yes! Yeah, yeah. Uh. That's, that's basically it. There would be a little rally report, which updated on CFAX. And, you know, that's how you got your, your rallying kind of fix. And then you would watch the highlight show maybe a week later, maybe oh, yes. two weeks later. Yes. It, took a, it took a while. You know, it's, you know, this day and age now, everything is instant. Back then it wasn't. So, you know, university life for me, I was watching bits and pieces, but university life took over. And, yeah. you know, obviously working exceptionally hard to get my first class degree. And, because you uh, were going to and... head off to be um, be one of the greatest film directors of all time, I believe. Yeah, that was <laughs> that was the that was the absolute. Well, plan still, it's obviously still in the back of the head. You can do, do you know that what as well. could happen? Multitask. It could, it could happen, Lisa. It could happen still. I wanted to be. So I think my teenagers were a bit mixed up because I love drama and acting and it was one of my strengths and I was supposed to that the original plan was to go off to um, the Welsh School of Music and Drama, which is one of the best in, in the whole of the UK in Cardiff. And I remember going there on work experience. You had a work, week of work experience in your teenage years. And I went there for a week and I absolutely hated it. <laughs> it was full of people so far up their own backsides. I couldn't handle it. <laughs> I was like, I am so not this person. I'm so not a lovey. And it was everything about acting that I hated all in one place. I was like, I can't come here. I can't be with these people. I'm going to kill them. And then I'll be in jail for the rest of my life. My future be over. Um, so I thought, you know, okay, maybe acting isn't for me, but I wanted to be creative in, in that kind of sphere. And, you know, I loved films growing up. Um, I used to watch very obscure films. Um, and I thought, okay, maybe, you know, maybe I could make films. And I found a, a course, which was in Exeter University, which was a mixture of journalism, filmmaking, editing, photojournalism, 
<laughs> this is how long ago it was learning how to make websites so this is really new so this is really exciting <laughs> wow <laughs> websites amazing <laughs> I will, be the, um, I will be the person that makes everybody's websites. They will not be able to make it themselves. It was such a varied degree. And the minor of it was theatre art. So I, you know, I kept a bit of drama in there. And that was my plan was to kind of be behind the scenes making things I wanted to produce. And that's really what I wanted to do. And after that, after I finished in, in uni, I came straight home and remember sending letters off to BBC Wales to say I you know I want to come and come and work with you and I did work experience there for a week and was really lucky that the people I worked with um, said oh you know we'll, we'll put your name forward for other things and then I had other departments at BBC Wales calling me back the drama department music department I ended up working in radio there as well as a announcer for a, a, a quiz <laughs> so I would do the scores and introduce the teams and it was all this varied things that I loved doing and I worked in the news department very briefly there but it was in the sports department that really piqued my interest when I went there and it's it's kind of the buzz I think of live sport and it was I was kind of perfectly placed I think because at the time we were building up to the Six Nations and there was a lot of activity and I thought I I like this because this is this is positive stories this is human achievement this is inspirational stuff and I'd like to you know know a bit more about this maybe get involved in this and that's where the sports journalism came in then. Well, the, th the best thing about sports, as far as I'm concerned, is you get a beginning, a middle and an end. It may not be the end that you want. <laughs> yes. um, and if you're covering it, it's brilliant as a storyteller because there will always be some drama in there, even if nothing yeah. happens. Uh, and, you know, you always have a, a big finish, you know, ready for you to go there. Um, I kind of want to talk about, I mean, we've mentioned Greg Strange, who was yes. an absolutely unique individual, had so many brilliant ideas about taking technology forward so you're mentioning there about the the ooh, making a website ooh, technology <laughs> um the world rally radio as greg set it up was uh ahead of its time it was technology that um I, I think still to this day people don't understand how few people were actually you around in the day-to-day -day running of mm. the radio station that basically was informing the teams, it was informing fans, it was informing families back home, it gave everybody an opportunity to actually be that bit closer to the rally. And for, for a number of years, it was the best way to stay in touch with the World Rally Championship because, yeah. because it was possible to hear at the end of the stage the stories from the drivers about why the car only had three wheels or why they'd lost a big passage of time in the middle. and you were the voice that was behind that you were the one who was holding it together and you know gradually bringing on board extra bits of technology this i mean this this hasn't helped you Bex, to be honest because you <laughs> you you proved that uh, it is possible to do about 16 things at once which now has become the norm so everyone's like bex williams can do it so it's like yeah okay okay so i'll just try and get the broom out and sweep the floor at the same time as i'm doing the other 16 things um how did it feel? I, well, I, I know from working with you how excited you always were about and still are about the start of an event. Mm. Has that changed at all? But knowing that basically you guys, you know, 
were part of a team that was changing the way that sport was being covered. Do you know what? When I think back to that time, it was when it started, even before it actually started, at least the year before, you know, Greg was a visionary. You're right. You know, he he had a he wanted to make sure that rallying could be reached by the people around the world and that you know that's what he wanted and, and he not doing... just by phoning a telephone line as well which is another it... thing that people used to do yes, to phone that's right. find out what the result was <laughs> that's right exactly there would be a premium line you'd have to ring cost you an absolute fortune to find out that um yeah mccray or burns were in the lead of the rally or crashed out or whatever um yeah, the year before, I remember him getting the idea for it. He was traveling the world for BBC Five Live at the time and doing radio reports. And he wanted more. He wanted to be able to provide more. And WRC.com was launching in, in 2002 with a brand new website. And I remember him sitting down in the offices in Cardiff and saying, you know, this is my idea. And he'd spoken with Chris, the technical guru of the company. And I, I want to run a radio station on every event which broadcast the length of the event. And I remember saying to him, okay, we were in a car actually. And we were in a car, we were driving somewhere and he was telling me this, like, okay, great, great. He said, and you know, we'll just, you know, we'll have guests in, we'll be able to talk, give out times, inform people. And I was like, right, okay. I said, that sounds like a, you know, long time to be broadcasting for. <laughs> he said, yeah, yeah, no, it will be, it will be, it'll be a big challenge. Okay. I said, so who are you thinking to, you know, staff this to, to do it? And he was like, well, you'll be the presenter, of course. And I was like, you, sorry, what? Do you want to blow back up there, cowboy? You want me to talk for 10 hours a day on rallying? Where, when previously, okay, I'd, you know, just done very short radio reports. You know, you kind of know it, it, to a certain extent what you're talking about. But the thought of talking for that length of time during a day and it just being me it, with a microphone and Chris on some buttons and some faders was very very scary but Greg had got the bit between his teeth and they they did a bit of a trial run at San Remo the previous year just him and Chris to test the technology to see if it would work and then Rally Monte Carlo 2002 we launched it at least I'm trying to remember if you were there with us in 2002 or not not three for months, I think not was, for, yeah yeah 2003 yeah yeah um <laughs> I remember it was myself Sam Sweet, Sweden was my first overseas um, ah, event. yes, in the famous zip-up ski suit, which I'll tell everyone ah, about shortly. Thank you. Yeah, great. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, there was, I think, myself, Sam, Kerry-Ann, Chris, Greg. There was five of us uh, set to, to work on the radio station during the weekend. And I remember glancing. We arrived at Nice Airport and we had to wait for Chris, who was coming in with all the equipment that we needed for the weekend. And he was super stressed about, you know, the fact that he had to bring all this equipment from Oh, oh the joys of a car nace. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I was thinking, oh, it can't be that much equipment. I remember the, the, the doors opening of arrivals and he comes out with two big cases, um, uh, two big trolleys, sorry, filled with flight cases. I think there were eight flight cases in total of equipment. I'm thinking how the hell are we going to sort all of this? And we, we get to the service park, we, we're shown the tiniest room possible in a truck where we're going to be based for the weekend. Chris works throughout the night to get everything set up. And cut a long story short, it all worked. And we managed to work the radio station. And then, you know, we carried on throughout the year. You came in at some point during 2002, I think maybe for Wales Rally GB, 
Yes, I, I'm trying to work out. I'm trying to work out because I think, I think 2000 Sweden. I remember the ski seat. So 2000 telling is... Greg how to demister a windscreen, <laughs> which really didn't go down very well. I at hate all. driving in a car where you can't see through the windows <laughs> and somebody's going and they're talking to you and looking at you and not looking at the road, but they can't see it anyway because the windows are all misted up. Uh... Um, but no, so it was 2002 we met because I think 2002 in the summer was when I covered Wimbledon for you, which 20 years on I'm still doing. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll let that one slide past quite nicely. Yeah. And there it's gone. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it was really, it was a scary thing. I remember going on air and not quite wondering how we were going to do it because we didn't, we didn't have stage end reporters back in at that time. There just simply wasn't the technology to be able to have someone at the stage ends and hear them properly. Well, it I, just didn't I don't exist. think mobile phones were actually affordable well, at that point exactly. to actually make a phone they, call. They, they existed, but abroad, impossible to, to be able to have done that. Um, so, you know, that happened quite a, quite a few. Well, it happened the next year in 2003. We worked out a system to be able to do that with the help of, you know, genius company Glen Sound, who, who were amazing. Um, but the, the, the fear was very real at Rally Monte Carlo and the fact that we did it, got through it, and we received all these emails of people, people who were listening. Listened. People, people listened. listened. Yeah. People you build it, they will come. This is what we were genuinely worried about. Was that we've got all this equipment, we've got all these people here to do the job. Will people listen? And the answer was a resounding yes. They would listen. And, you know, back in the day, the coverage was, you know, you look at it now in comparison to what we did eventually on the radio. It was quite basic because we're just there talking about times. We'd get some guests in. When the drivers came back to service, we'd go out and interview them live. And we did all that with radio mics and it all worked and it all worked fine. And, yeah, it was a great experience to be part of all that. And it was, I think, for Greg, for myself, for Chris, it was very much our baby you know, we were there at the start. It was always our ideas, moving it forward and how we could progress with it. And it was a great thing to be part of. And I think for a lot of people who listened, there was, you know, I, I know I used to get feedback, it, certainly from some people in the service park, be like, oh, it's nice to hear a female voice. It's nice to hear a female voice talking about rallying because it, the coverage had been male dominated. I think the difference as well, to having a female voice on and especially with radio when we had so many listeners that would join us for most of the weekend um it felt like family as well and the rally family yeah. does feel like family anyway Absolutely. and it was the sport was being covered in a way you couldn't cover it like a male commentator doing a football match for 10 hours a day it needed a far more relaxed and comfortable voice which is what you've always brought and you've always brought warmth which is always brought out the best of your interviewees as well. I remember the years of I'm going to sit on the sofa and talk to um, where you would go and find someone to find a nice lengthy interview that we would be able to play throughout the weekend to give us a chance to, to get some breath. You would you know, be able to draw breath for 20 minutes, so perhaps go and freshen up, shall we say, <laughs> get some food down you, because that was also something that didn't happen very often. Um, mm. But the, but the the respect that you managed to um, just, I don't know, you, you just, you have a knack of winning people over, even when you're sitting with them on the sofa, getting them to answer awkward questions. So um, I do remember particularly the um, 
Yamo Leighton interview where um, he was talking about taking his clothes off at some point <laughs> at a stage end, but he wasn't Whoa. taking the clothes off at the stage end. That was a totally it was, uh, it was urban it, myth. Yeah, it was, it was a myth. He, they'd rolled in Sweden. Um, that's what it was. And they tried to get the car back onto four wheels, which they did, him and Miko Hirvinen. And, but they were, they were bogged down in snow. And there was this urban legend that suddenly appeared that Yamo Leighton had taken off his overalls to put under the wheels to give them traction to get out of the snowbank. Which and we all went, this wow, bit, that's amazing. Wow. I know, this floated around. So it was, yeah, as soon as they got back to service, I had to ask him, you know, whether he'd, he'd taken his clothes off or not. Yes. Sadly, it, it was a no. It wasn't the sofa. It wasn't on the sofa. But a subsequent interview, I think I'd turned it into a jingle so that we could just drop it in any time, really. The, the, the sofa interviews, I remember there was a great one with Colin McMaster talking about photographing rallies. It, it yeah. was another dimension to the rally that we were able to add as well, that it wasn't just about the times and what's going right and what's going wrong for drivers, but more about the people who were part of the family and making their year travelling around on the WRC calendar. Yeah, I think that was the beauty of radio. We had, you know, it, it, radio is always the more personal um you know format really but we had time <laughs> we had a lot of time to fill and you know the people who know that better than anyone else are me and you because as our producer oh, rally you, mexico you would, be, you would be there for the no. whole duration and so would i it wasn't really was it rally poland which was the one where it we was had rally an entire poland. morning cancelled rally poland yeah they went it was the the year they went into lithuania for the morning there and we every go. Single stage was cancelled and i think at the end of that day, I punched the air with delight and someone took a photograph of it and I still have it. And, you know, I know it's blurred because I'm just like, thank God that day is over. But you because and it was I the had, Friday. To, had to fill that time. Yeah, it was yeah. the Friday. So we had so we, nothing to... No stages to replay. Nothing to replay, nothing to go back on. It was just us talking and me dragging every soul that was left in the service park in we did all the team bosses i think we even did the chef from citroen as well yeah it was just like anyone anyone that can come in to talk please talk and that was the beauty of my job and your job we were there for the whole duration stage end reporters could you know they, they would be running around and they would be frantic as well but at some point they could go and have a nice lunch whereas oh, we george, had to george fill. and colin were genuinely always and <laughs> Anyone who listens and send, us, and about... send us pictures of a nice we found lunch an amazing as well. Cafe. Oh, oh yeah, really? For a great you... seafood time, right? Still Thanks, boys. Still in the same seat. Been... <laughs> we haven't moved, or I've been. You've been going to me. We need more. We need... find more people in the service park to talk about. And I've been running around like a blue ass fly. So, you know, they were hard days. They were really enjoyable days. Don't get me wrong, but they Afterwards. were brutally hard days because you you were feeling pretty much every moment i remember when we when we first started as well because greg was very vocal about you know the Ra world rally radio as it was called then being you know unique and he was right and he was wrong um because radio stations on rallying are not a new thing you know they've existed on in rally finland for example uh wales rally gb used to have their own radio station but the netherlands truly, as well in belgium yeah, yeah absolutely people you know ran you know a rally radio is not a unique thing but what was unique about what we provided is that we did a, at every event around the world and people like, you know, the rally radio in Finland is backed by ULA, YLE. It's the national broadcaster. It's like the BBC for us doing rally radio. So they had the full weight 
of all the technology, all the funding, the budgets to be able to do it, where we were scrabbling for every piece of budget we could get. That was always a huge concern. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm going off on a course now and, and talking about radio till to the end of time. But I think I could do. what was quite clear and um, being a woman at that point was irrelevant because you were the voice of the radio station and listening as I have done to some of the interviews that have been on dirtfish.com during March in Women in Motorsport Month, Penilla Solberg, um, Michelle Mouton, these great women who have been lucky enough to grow up in different countries where the experience of being a woman in sports is different. So Penilla Solberg in particular, uh, her dad, a motocross legend, you know, um, her husband, a great rally driver, her son now, a, a brilliant rally driver as well, has never really thought of herself as anything more than part of the team. The, her gender has played very little part in her experience of motorsport. It certainly hasn't held her back. It hasn't um, forced her to decide to take one route over another because yeah. of, of her gender. And I kind of feel, uh, having grown up in a country where gender is very much still a part of what roles you can take. Um, and as a sports journalist in this country, there's so much work that I have missed out on because uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm lucky enough now to be working in commentary, but it's taken me a long time to be able to get that and get over a hurdle where people turn around and say, people don't want to hear a woman commentating people don't yeah. want to hear a woman's voice people people women you know they don't people don't really understand if women are talking about sports and that's coming from other sports it's not coming from motorsport mm. which has always felt very friendly and very I've, I've felt very welcome and at home and able to just crack yeah. on and do my job um do you feel that having been able to work with you know great people like Michel Mouton and, and Panera and stuff like that 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 there is a different way of tackling it nationally. So I think we're almost getting there in this country. We're getting to thinking about it, but equality is still not there, obviously. But we're, we're moving in the right direction. I think we are moving in the right direction. You're right. Equality is still not there. And will, I, get, I say it again, will we see it in our lifetime be completely equal on that score? I hope so. You know, I, I'm really thrilled to be able to hear and see female commentators in in many many different sports now when that wasn't the case back in the day um i say back in the day is it back when i started um even in motorsport you know i i felt feel the same as you it was always a really incredible welcome and initially when i started i did feel you know slightly intimidated because because there wasn't there wasn't a female sure, i could I was going to say, was it perhaps also that you didn't know whether or not it was a safe space? Not, do you know what? I wouldn't say that. No, like it, it. I think for me, it was about the knowledge. Um, I, you know, and even though I may come across as a, a very confident person, I'm not. Uh, you know, that's all a bit of an act. Not all the time. You know, I do have a huge amount of confidence in what I do now. But back then, you know, I was thrust very much into a spotlight and every word that came out of my mouth, if, if any of those words were incorrect, I would freak out. If I got something wrong, if, you know, I read a situation wrong or didn't understand technically something, which even, you know, the, the greatest motorsport journalist may not understand, I was very hard on myself. And I didn't have anyone in, 
in the world of women then to be able to go to. However, I didn't see, you know, I didn't see a difference between myself and a male journalist. And there were so many male journalists at the time who were incredibly encouraging. The late, great David Williams used to write for Motorsport News was one of the people that I would be able to go and sit with, talk with, talk about, you know, drivers or what does this mean when this happens or we're in, we're in an awkward situation now in terms of strategy and tactics, it, you know, explain this to me a little. I could go and, and ask him that and he would sit down with good grace and, and talk about things with me. So I, I didn't feel, I, I never felt, oh, I'm, I'm on my own here because I was surrounded by a lot of journalists who were, were happy to help. I, you know, there are some people, that, like in any walk of life, in any sport you're going to, there are going to people be people who are not very nice to you or are jealous of what you are doing. And the classic, I could do it better if I was in that role. I've come across that quite a few times. Um, and that's always been from the male gender rather than... It's, it's interesting, gender. isn't it? Because that is actually nothing to do with gender but it is yeah it, it, it is I've, i mean I've, I've heard the same thing as well and, and funny enough when i was in china recently two young lads were sitting <laughs> and they were bemoaning the facts one of them said oh well i, I went for that job interview but there was a there was a, a woman there she had exactly the same qualifications as me and they gave it to her and i thought well it's like wow welcome welcome she? to our world <laughs> you know, it's, you know only even, because she even, was a woman even recently, there was, um, I won't name names here, but there was um, a sports journalist who works in our world who had put up a message on a social media platform saying that, you know, pointless me trying to even go for work. If I'm not a woman, I'm not going to get anywhere. How has it come to this? And I thought, well, you just look back 30, 40 years ago, and if you're a woman trying to actually get Absolutely. into any kind of, then, you know, that was a female experience back then. Um, I suspect if yeah. that person glanced around the, the working environment, he'd still see a largely male presence. Yeah, and it, you and, know, it's... It, and, and, me, and, a, and when we're it, talking di diversity as well here, yes, I'm talking about women in motorsport, but a largely white male presence as well. So diversity needs to, to creep in in all levels of absolutely. sport. Absolutely. I, I fully agree with you. And sometimes I feel... It, you know, we, we talk about we're talking about gender specifically now because that's the entire point of this this chat. But in my own personal experience, in my work environment, I don't see a difference at all. I don't feel a difference because I have always strived to be as best I can. I don't I'm not a competitive person by any stretch of the imagination. The only person I want to compete with is my own level of what I want to get to. And I knew that I just wanted to be as good as I could possibly be at my job and not having a basis of comparison in my sex. I just, you kind of put the blinkers on and just go, right, I do all my research. I, I, I have full respect for the drivers and everyone I'm working with. I try and find out as much as I can about them, chat to them and not just keep it as a work relationship, you know, to have a friendship with people. You're traveling in a huge bubble and you're doing it you know, 13, 14, at one point, 16 times a year with 16 WRC events, you know, you're thrown together with these people, you know, you need to get to know them and bring their stories out. And I, I think the only person I've ever had competition with has been myself. And I'm very lucky, because I know it's not the same experience for other women. You know, I've been very lucky in that I haven't been 
or ever felt threatened by males in our sport. Um, there have been occasions where certain things have been said, but you know, you just put it down to those people being assholes, and they could be male or female assholes. Doesn't matter. <laughs> you know that that's it, plain and simple. Um, but I understand that you know there are women who are trying to get into motorsport that are coming up against it and coming up against a sexism which really shouldn't be there in this day and age. It's archaic. I think Molly Taylor has a great line she said to me last year when I interviewed her, which when we were talking a little bit about kind of male-female motorsport balance and the fact that it, it isn't very balanced, unfortunately. And she said in her mind... Of course, our, our current champion in Extreme E. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'm sure there are many championships to come for her as well. You know, she said she's always thought and always because she had a strong, you know, her, her mother, Coral, is, a, you know, strong female leader, competitor herself. You know, there's no gender. The clock doesn't know what sex you are. The timing clock does not care if you're male or female. It is just you, the car, you go. And, you know, that's a great way of putting it in terms of competition. You know, the clock doesn't recognize what sex you are. But, you know, she was very frank in admitting that, yeah, when it comes to sponsorship, females are on the back foot. It's a, it's a different world. And, you know, it has to change. Finally, what advice would you give? This is a horrible question. I hate this question. When somebody <laughs> says it to me, I think, oh, God, that's a horrible question. But it is kind of an important question. Uh, from a point, from my point of view, I know that coming through the way that I've done it as well, like you, I've probably been a little too hard on myself, ready to mm. criticise myself when others have lumped in because for all the reasons you've said, it's easier to actually just put somebody down than admit your own failings. Um, and and I, the, the piece of advice I think I would pass on to any young women that are looking to get into sport is to believe in themselves and to not be unduly hard on themselves while yeah. still trying to be the best they can be. Yeah, ditto. I completely echo that. I wish, you know, looking back, I'd had a bit more self-belief at the start of my career. I was very lucky that if I did have a moment of doubt, I could sit down with my mother and, and I tell her and then she'd just turn around and go, she would always say something like, what are you talking about? You're bloody brilliant. You're fabulous. You're know, really kind of trying to beat I can you hear up. Her. And, <laughs> yeah. And, and you'd be like, okay, not, not that I ever believe that I'm bloody brilliant or I'm fabulous, but it, sometimes it just takes a couple of words to, to kind of reboost you because it's very easy. It can be, I think, you know, regardless of gender, when you are working hard to be the best you can be at a specific role, and it's very much out there for the public to rip apart as well if they want to you're very exposed you you know you're not i'm not sat there writing a press release i'm there using my own voice my own words my own take on against things. the clock again against the clock um and and you know people can rip you apart if they want to i've been very lucky in that you know uh, yes you have the occasional people that will say some nasty things but it's been mainly positive over the years you always remember the nasty comments, however, you know, you could have a thousand positive, lovely things and one person says one thing and you remember that. Uh, but back at the start, yes, more confidence, more self-belief that I can, can, could, can do this job successfully. Um, 
and love the job. And I, I think that's another factor of it. You, when you do come into a motorsport role, it has to be the right fit for you. And you have to have a genuine love for what, what you're doing for it to reflect. If you're doing something in my line of work where you are expressing yourself, you know, if you if you don't really feel for something, it's it's going to show. And hopefully through all the years I have given, you know, impassioned broadcasting, entertaining broadcasting um, to the people who have listened and to the people who have watched now in a, you know, in a brand new era of, of what we're into with all live and everything being a visual fest. That's, you know, a, a different beast to to talk through as well. But I'm so glad that, you know, people have that now the ability to be able to to watch and see everything that we saw as dots and times just you know 10 15 years ago things are changing and you know change is a good thing a massive thank you to bex williams lead commentator at wrc.com for taking the time to speak to us here on dirtfish.com there is so much more content on the website for our Women in Motorsport Month. Be sure to check all of that out. And while you're there, why not subscribe to the podcast? Mm-hmm.